Okay, so we're on a series called Beyond Vision, Beyond 2020 Vision. This is part seven. And I think the, the, the painting is starting to say, take shape now. And I hope that, that you're picking up a, a compelling and attracting, attractive overview of the heartbeat around here. There's just two more aspects of our vision to go, and then there'll be one final message to wrap up the series. And then the week after that, we have three preaching. That's something very much to look forward to. But today we're on the penultimate entry on our vision banner, which is the church that we see is family. The subtext goes like this. We, we started as a family and will continue to be a family. Our program will include large weekly communal meetings, but also small gatherings in people's homes where authentic friendship, honesty, trust, mutual support, and accountability are cultivated. Now, of course, family is one of the more frequently used metaphors for church. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, here we go, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Ephesians 2 verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And one more from the Old Testament, Psalm 68, verse 4. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. God sets us in a family, and his family is called the church. He adopts us as his own. He becomes father to the fatherless. He gives us all a home and an identity and a purpose. And even better still, he gives us one another. The New Testament makes it very clear that we need one another for all sorts of reasons. And if we look at, at those New Testament verses that include that expression, one another, we, we get a very clear picture of what family life should be like. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus said, so you must love one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another humbly in love. 1 Peter 4, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another. Ephesians 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, 
God forgave you. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Hebrews 4, 24, sorry, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider how we, we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And so much of that list, and it's, there are other verses too, so much of that is woven into the fabric of what church has always stood for and how it's operated and, and what it's emphasized, and rightly so. Serving, and hospitality, and, and unity, and teaching, encouraging, kindness, and grace, and compassion. A quick disclaimer before I could go too much further. F family is not the only metaphor for church in the Bible. For the simple reason, then, like, like all metaphors, it, it's a little bit limited. But the expression family paints a, a picture for sure, but it's not the whole picture. Because, of course, Jesus also calls us, he calls us his body, he calls us an army, he calls us his bride, he calls us a, a temple, he calls us a vine, uh, we're described as being a flock. And, and those added together go a long way towards completing a fuller picture of what church should be like. So I just want to give you three quick cautions or limitations of the family metaphor before we, we unfold it a little bit more. The first one is this. There is a danger that if we, if we think of church as family, we start thinking too small. You know, I should know everybody. Everyone should have been to my house and we should all have happy history and, and shared memories. To be honest, the idea that everyone knows everyone is unrealistic. It's a bit simplistic probably and it, I reckon it's too small. You know, church should be me and my friends breaking bread together around our dining room table. Yes. We call that connect group. And there are great benefits to, to large and medium and small. And I reckon church should be a case of both and, and not either or. But actually, we should, be, we should be big and we should be medium sized and we should be small. In fact, I tend to use the line, we, we, should, be, we should be growing larger and smaller at the same time. So the first danger is, is we start thinking too small. The second danger of, of thinking of ourselves as a family is, is that we start becoming exclusive. And the danger is it starts becoming about, about us and our comfort. You know, as long as me and mine are okay. You know, in, in our family, we, we've always done it just like this. Of course, the major, one of the major mandates for, for natural families is to reproduce. Same is true for a spiritual family. We must reproduce. 
We must grow. We must stretch. Otherwise, we rather miss the point. Example of that. You know, can, can overuse of the expression family become off-putting perhaps to, to single people who join? You know, I reckon it can be a tough gig joining a church as a single person. And if we're not careful, we can come across as being closed. We can come across as being a little cliquey. What in the good old days we used to call the holy huddle. Danger number two. Danger number three is, is that if, if, we, if we think of ourselves as a family, we think that it's okay to fight. Particularly if your family model was dysfunctional. Arguably all our family models are a little bit by muted myself. Think of a couple I used to know in Canada, and he was a Lebanese, and she was Canadian. They met in Canada. Uh, and they courted in Canada, and then he took her over to Lebanon to meet the family, and they sat down for family meals. And my word, did the sparks fly. They were arguing, they were deliberately taking the opposite point, they were shouting at each other, and, and Lisa kept looking at really uncomfortable, what's going on in this household? You know, the, the, the World War III, say that, about to break out here. And then at the end of the meal, they all laughed, uproariously slapped each other on back. What a great night we've all had. And they all home they went. And this poor lady scratching her head. The point I want to make is, is your family model might not be exactly what God had in mind for his church. Okay, quick, quick review. All metaphors have their limitations. Family is not a perfect metaphor, but it is a strong one. And there is much in that image that we do need to draw upon. And of course, there's, there's much that, that we could say about that today. And I doubt anything that we cover will be new news, as it were. But as I pondered it, these are the points that I felt needed reiterating today. I think COVID has given the family unit a little bit of a shove and a shunt and a twist and a turn. And I think it's good just to kind of refocus on some of the basics of what it means to be a church family. So four thoughts that I'm going to fly through. Number one is let's make everyone feel welcome. And I'll break these down a little bit in a minute. Number two is every family has a variety of different members. I mean, you've got brothers and sisters and parents and cousins and uncles and aunts and grandparents and fifth cousins, sixth times removed, whatever that means. Uh, every family has different parts and roles, and we all have a part to play in that family. Number, two. number three is, is let's care for one another. And then number four is please be in a connect group. So I'll, I'll break those down and explain them in a second. Number one, let's make everyone feel welcome. Do you know, to feel welcome it is a core human Everyone wants to be included, to be on the inside. I mean, let's face it, being on the outside just feels uncomfortable. Everyone wants to be accepted. I reckon most of the damage we've all suffered in life has been as a result of rejection. So our welcome starts with, 
with how we make people feel when they come on a Sunday morning. We have some first-time visitors today. You can let us know how we do. I'm kind of setting this up, I think. So it starts on a Sunday morning. Of course, it doesn't finish on a Sunday morning. And so I reckon that the COVID effect has interrupted a few habits amongst us. So for months, for example, well, for months we were sitting at home watching on the television. And then for months we, we were told to wear masks. I mean, we had people who'd come to church for six months before I'd seen their faces. Beautiful they were, of course. So for months we were told to wear a mask. We, we were told to sit alone. I mean, can you remember that vision of, of the queen at Prince Philip's funeral in black on her own with a mask? We were told, actually, the government told us essentially that we were to arrive for church at 9.59 and 59 seconds and to leave as soon as the service was over without breathing on anybody. So there's a danger, I think, that we, we, we might have slipped out of the habit a little bit of scanning the room and of, and of intentionally mingling. So I'd say this, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if Everyone on a Sunday was on the lookout for anyone new, anyone standing alone, anyone wriggling nervously in the corner. Something I like to do, I do it quite intentionally when I'm at gatherings, particularly at my kids' school. I like to go, and I'm on my own, I like to go and stand in the middle of the crowd, not talking to anyone, just to feel experience what it feels like to be alone in a crowd. Quite the feeling, isn't it? Of course, welcome is it's about making people feel valued. And I reckon that in itself is a massive gospel imperative. The dignity of the individual. Jesus died for you and you matter. I'd like to think that anyone who comes to this church leaves feeling that they matter, that they matter to Jesus and that they matter to us. So one or two ideas about how we might do that. Question number one, to whom can you give a big and genuine smile? And if COVID permits, even a pat on the back. Can you make that person feel, feel special just by your positivity, by your affirmation, by your body language? I mean, I think the reality is we're all a little shy. We're all a little self-conscious. We've all got a few walls and masks that we like to hide and tuck ourselves safely in behind. You know, this, is, this is what it means to be in a family. You know, I thought about this. When, when your eccentric uncle comes around, he too gets to sit at the dining room table. Number one. Number two is, is can you help people to connect? I reckon it takes, it takes quite a long while as an, dreadful word, outsider. It takes quite a long time to settle in. It, it takes ages to feel at home or, or to dig root or, or to establish relationships. Maybe you've taken your kid to a new school and you sit at the back gate for ages and ages and ages before you started to feel you weren't crawling in your own in your own skin because you didn't know anyone and everyone was chatting away and you were just an outsider. He said, that takes time. I don't think 
that we can fix the fact that that takes time. I'm not sure we can force it or, or make it happen. But I reckon we can catalyze it. I reckon we can maybe accelerate it just a little. So as you're talking to someone for the first time in church, could you introduce them to someone else? Could you introduce them perhaps to another new mum or, or reti- another retired guy or, or someone else who's also the parents of teenagers? There are plenty of us around. Perhaps maybe someone who lives in the same village. There's no doubt that, that that sense of belonging is a hugely significant part of church and of body and of family. And obviously, as, as part of that process, we have a welcome team, that welcome team that, that help you park your car, that, that greets you at the door, that, that pour you a cup of coffee or tea after the service. We're very grateful to them. They do a wonderful job. If you fancy that team, talk to Murray. He's got COVID. Great that you have a, worship, uh, a welcome team, but you know what? It goes further than that. Now, I'd like you to humor me for a second. Would you please put your hand up if you have three qualifications? If you have Jesus, a smile, and a handshake. Can you put your hand up? Fantastic. Fantastic. Great. You're all appointed today, hereby appointed honorary members of the welcome team. Congratulations. And thank you very much for volunteering. You know what? You're all hired, even if you didn't put your hand up. Being part of a family is is a significant thing, which it is. If it has a significant value, then we all get a part to play in that. So now you're all appointed members of the welcome team. No, you don't necessarily get one of those hanging things on. You've got to join the Murray team for that. Uh, Two challenges to get you started. Could you do these two simple things? Could you, number one, could you introduce yourself to someone new every week? Not necessarily someone who's visiting the barn for the first time, but that would be great too. But someone that's new to you. Because guess what? They're part of your family. And number two, could you on a Sunday morning, could you talk to the people in your immediate Radius. You know, that is not as hard as it sounds. Just smile, just say hello and ask them a question. And if you can't think of anything to say, just ask another question. You know what, let's, let's do all that we can to make people feel welcome. Before I move on, I'm going to give you one bonus free piece of advice. The best way to make friends is to be friendly. Okay, no extra charge for that one. Okay, that's number one. Number two is let's recognize we all have a part to play. The picture that I like goes something like this. Families contain all sorts of different people and characters, relational connections. The natural family comprises brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents and grandchildren and cousins and uncles and aunts and the like. You know, the spiritual family will also contain a similar rich variety of roles and relationships. I wonder, in your church family, do you have any cheeky cousins? Do you have any caring grandparents? Do you have any inseparable sisters or boisterous 
brothers. You know, in the, in, the, in the context of church family, parents are there to, to provide and to protect. They're there to, to model and to teach. They're there to, to correct and to discipline. Siblings are there to, to do life with you over the long haul. They're the people that you play with and learn with and the ones that grow up with you. They're the ones that stretch your character and, and teach you trust, probably patience. Cousins are fun. We hang out a bit, not all the time. Grandparents are wise and experienced. We go to them when we don't get our parents or vice versa. Maybe you have, maybe you have spiritual kids younger Christians that you're helping and you're guiding and you're, you're discipling and you're watching out for. And I think this is a really powerful picture. This is what church family should be like. All those different relationships and those vital roles, and those sources of input and output. I preached a series uh, during lockdown called What Does It Mean to Be the Church? And part five of that was, was about family. If you like a little bit more detail, I flesh this out a little bit more. The key message in all that was this. It works so much better if you can correctly identify what your part is. It won't work if you start trying to parent your siblings. It won't work if you start trying to get too heavy with your cousins. Or if you fail to recognize when it's the time to make that shift from a parental role into a grandparent role. So that message from it was April 2021 is available on YouTube. And number two. Number three is let's care for one another. Churches is an intricate and interwoven organism that is designed to walk together in coordinated fashion, to serve together in effective fashion, and to care for one another in a healthy fashion. Last week, I, I talked a little bit about how serving and giving and walking together play significant roles in our journey of growth and transformation. God puts you into his family and you grow by, number one, by cultivating strong relationships. God will use those relationships to feed you and to nurture you and to encourage you. God puts you into his family and you grow by developing character. If you rub up against other people long enough, your character will get refined. And God puts you in his family and you grow by, by exercising the gifts that he's given you, by learning to use your spiritual muscles. I just want to take a quick look at a little passage in Romans 12 that I, I think I touched on last week. And it's Romans 12 verse 6. It's what we used to call the motivational gifts. And it says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, 
then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I'm sure you remember, one of my key points last week is that God gives us gifts not to make us look good or to sound good or, or even to feel good. God gives us gifts for transformation. God has gifted you for transformation. For transformation for you personally, but also for the church family around you. So these gifts in in Romans 12 are are sometimes called the motivational gifts because, because when push comes to shove, you'll respond out of whatever internal force motivates you. It depends on your, your, your core DNA or, or, the, or whatever it is that drives you. Thinking about this on the way, and, and the best illustration I can give is this. Yesterday, our dear friend Steve King hurt his back. And he hurt his back working for the Lord here in the church by putting reserved signs bending down on the chair. You can feel it go now, can't you? And by the time he'd done 64 of those, I wonder, if you saw Steve cry out in the room, how would you respond to that? Some of you would be rushing over there. Oh, there, there, Steve. How are you, mate? Are you okay? Others of you would probably be laughing and going, it's okay, mate. You'll be fine. Six months, you'll be right as rain. Some of you might be a little bit more practical, saying, do you know what? Next time, just bend your legs. Go down nice and low, put them down like that, you'll find it's much better. Other people might say, don't worry, Steve, that's fine. Let me pay for three chiropractor appointments for you. Yeah, okay. That was, that was me talking about the gift of giving, not the prophecy gift, Steve, but I may, maybe still. The point is, we're all wired differently, and I don't know which one of those, I didn't do even do all seven, but which one of those you'd be. But we all respond out of how God has wired or motivated us. For some of you, it will be encouraging. When you're put on the spot, when someone is asking for input, you'll, you'll encourage them. You just can't stop yourself. It's in your wiring. It's your core DNA. It's what motivates you. Others that will be rolling up their sleeves to serve or perhaps opening up their hearts in mercy. You can say like Emma, but that's her private joke. Shouldn't come into a sermon. You know, it might be someone extending their, their, their hands to give generosity. It might be someone stepping forward to lead. It might be giving instruction as a teacher or inspired counsel as a prophet. But here's the point. If you keep that gift to yourself, it will not grow. Actually, you will not grow. And actually, the church family around you will be weaker as a result. I reckon that God is really clever. Anyone agree? God has stuffed his body full of encouragers, stuffed it full of servers and mercy givers, and, and money givers, and teachers, and prophets, and leaders. And so if you're an encourager, 
get yourself into the middle of your family and get encouraging because we need you. You know, we badly need the, the tender-hearted kindness of a mercy giver. If things grind quickly to a halt without the precious people who are wired to roll their sleeves up and serve. If, if your motivational gift is teacher, someone needs those key principles that you are dying to impart. Nothing ever gets started without a, without a leader grabbing the initiative or without a giver writing the check. What I'm trying to say is, is caring for one another. Pastoral care, if you like. It's a team sport. We are in this together. We need you. You have a significant part to play. You're an important member of God's family here at the barn. And together we need to work out what that looks like. Number four, just do this one quickly. It is a plea, really. Please be in a connect group. Even if you don't go. You see, the vision we have is, it is a network of strong subunits. Units of tightly connected and deeply caring, life-sharing, disciple-making friends. And connect groups are a great opportunity to, to dig those deeper friendships and and to learn and grow and laugh and cry together. Great opportunity to support one another and to receive the support that you need in return when you really need it. I said earlier, we, we need to grow larger and smaller at the same time. We need strength of numbers. We need to be growing resources and people and programs. So that's what I mean by large. We also need the intimacy of friendship. You know, that person who is your confidant, who is your prayer partner, who is your closest brother or sister. That's what I mean by small. But we also need the community and the purpose and the support of groups and teams. And that's what I mean by medium size. You see, Connect Group is where you do church family together. It's where you cultivate those strong relationships. It's where you develop that character. It's where you learn to exercise the gifts that God has given you. The Connect Group is probably where you learn to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Connect Group is probably where you start to exercise your ministry gift. It's probably the place where you offer your motivational gift to those in your sphere of influence. So please be in a connect group. Joking aside, even if you can't get there very often. And if you'd like to know more about that, please do. Okay, so that, that in a nutshell is family. And to me, it's, it's a compelling picture of church in action. The good news is that God knows what he's doing. And so yes, we're also an army on the move. We're also living stones in God's house. We're also sheep in his flock. We're also branches on a vine. But we most certainly are meant to be a family. Okay, so if the 
worship team would like to come forward, please. How do we respond to that? Just two simple questions, really. Question number one is, what role is God calling you to play in your family here at the barn? What role is God calling you to play? Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit more as we wrap the series up in a couple of weeks. And then question number two is this, response number two. If, if you're struggling right now to feel part of God's family, well, we'd love to pray for you. And so we have a ministry team. Um, in a minute, they'll come to the front here. And if, you, if you're just feeling a little bit isolated, a little bit excluded, a bit out on the edge, just start the conversation. You know what? They'd love to pray God's blessing over that.